Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I am Jason, a guy that is at least currently married. And I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And we have Jen today. Hey, everybody. Jen is a a wife in recovery, and we have Kim. Hi. (laughs) You're not going to hear that. You're going to have to be loud. Um, (laughs) So the topic is, as presented to us by someone through Spotify, um, marriage in recovery. And, you know, when they presented this topic, they said specifically where both people are recovering in the same space, we thought it would be interesting to hear slightly opposing views or challenges or maybe similarities and challenges of someone who is in recovery in marriage and someone who is not a recovering person. I hate to say addict anymore. Um, (laughs) So uh, just for clarification purposes, Jen is in recovery and is Billy's wife and Kim is not in recovery and is my wife. So we have you ladies on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I've been saving this joke. Is this our two wives episode of Recovery Sort (laughs) Of? Two wives. That's actually pretty good. Uh, And if you want to make fun of the AA Big Book and their two wives section, feel free to check out that episode where we trash the big book. Um, So I I don't know exactly where we're going with this. Maybe... We can start with, uh, since we have ladies on here and we talk all the time, we can start with the ladies' voices of like the challenges of, you know, for Jen, for you, of being in recovery and trying to navigate that space of, you know, you always hear those, keep your recovery separate and work on your own program and all that fun stuff, which is bullshit somewhat. Um, And then, you know, maybe Kim, you can add in with what it's like to be introduced to the recovering from addiction world, uh, because I don't think that is anything you were familiar with when I met you. Uh, So take it away. I think I want to hear from you first, just to hear about what normal people, like (laughs) put them normals in quotes, people. I've been married to her for a while. Um, Normal no more. (laughs) Like you said, you were my introduction to the world of recovery. Like when I met you, you were like, oh, I go to these meetings. And I was like, okay. And you were like, yeah, they help keep me. I forget what word you use now, but it was like normal or like some like along the lines yeah (laughs) Yeah. it was like they're they're for my health and i was like okay and then that was like how i got introduced to na and i think i went to your two-year anniversary was like the first one so when I had met you, you probably had like 18 months clean at that point. I stayed out of relationships for a year. No, I didn't. No, just kidding. <laughs> when I met you, like five months prior to that, you were in a relationship. Did it seem like a weird cult when you went the first time or was it just? That's a good question. Whatever. I definitely felt like an outsider. Like I didn't know the expectations. I didn't know like anything about it. So I was mm. like fascinated. Were they speaking like Spanish to you? <laughs> no, I could kind like of, I could lingo. go with it. Like I was like, yeah. okay. And then I was like, hmm, what does that mean? And then it's like, I would hear it a couple of times and I could use context clues to figure it out pretty quickly. But it definitely was weird. I feel like I should have been way more interested in asking these questions at some point. <laughs> <laughs> and I look bad now. 
Have you were you ever in a serious relationship before, Jason? Yes. They weren't that serious. <laughs> and they weren't they weren't people him. with addiction or recovery. She was patient. No. They all needed it probably. I, well, see, I think it's fascinating to addicts because most addict people, it seems like everyone in your world is affected by addiction. So to hear like someone who hasn't life hasn't been affected by addiction in one way or another is like, wow, that seems like the rare unicorn that you don't ever get to talk to. Like I mean, I've heard like I heard of it. Like my dad um had a degree like and he was like an addictions counselor. It was mm-hmm. like his but he didn't do that. Like that wasn't his job. Right. But that was like what his background was. And then like I knew some of his friends like would go to like AA meetings and they would struggle with like staying in and out but they weren't like people that i interacted like with daily right. so it was kind of like you know the people i knew over there so addiction is not in your family other mm-hmm. than jason not that i know of like not openly discussed or actively in meetings or anything if you so what have... attracted you to jason <laughs> i don't know <laughs> if you have an ego like mine you find ways to imagine everyone in her family as some form oh, yeah. of addict oh yeah he'll tell like, me all oh, the time he's like don't yeah, they know. need it. right it's all the behaviors and the underlying <laughs> stuff is there just not the use <laughs> yeah I, I mean i don't know what would you know what challenges do you feel like you would not have met in a relationship or marriage with somebody who normal quote unquote an earthling right like that you have encountered with me um that you feel like you can blame on you know that part of me i think like the obsessive compulsive part like, because it was kind of like, you know, like, I'm a fairly supportive person. So it was like, you know, when I met you, it was like, okay, I have these meetings. Okay, that's great. But then it was like, you know, different things would show up. And that would be like your obsession and compulsion for like six months. So it was like hard to like balance that. And then your meetings and then our life. Because mm. it was like, you know. Like what? Oh, volleyball was at one at one point, shockwave when you did that. Just some different things you were involved in became like front and center and then meetings and then whatever else you had going on and then the family. Mm. Podcast. (laughs) I wasn't going to mention that. (laughs) Golf. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, there's obsessions that come up. How many, how often was he going to meetings when you met him? Like how frequently or... I don't really remember because he was like, um, was it halfway house you were at? Oh yeah, I was. Uh, I was still technically in prison. Yeah, like when so I when met I met him, wife. so it was like you know there was like loopholes and he would go and stuff like that. But then once he was released, I think he went pretty regularly. But I mean, it wasn't like he was at meetings all the time, and that created any issues. Or... I think during that time period, so I had I had come around, I had gotten clean, I was in meetings like seven days a week, and then I had ended up relapsing after about 18 months, and then I ended up back in prison. And so I was on my way working myself out of prison, but was still state property at that point. And I was in a halfway house and working at Bob Evans, which is where I met Kim. Um, so... I really, like, didn't have a strong program going on. Like, when I first got out, I I went back to my neighborhood, Hamden, and and I hit some meetings. But then her and I ended up moving to Parkville, and, like, my meeting attendance almost disappeared. Mm. But you were also going to class, like, three nights a week. You were, and then Saturdays, like, you had, like, there was a bunch of other stuff that got in the way, too. It wasn't just. Yeah, I put a lot of things for my recovery. (laughs) (laughs) Your other obsession. high or drunk? (laughs) No, I've never known him like an active using. I don't know. I took. I had to take pain medication for Ooh, my shoulder surgery. I did forget about that. And that, I feel like there was 
some suspect issues. <laughs> oh my God. That was like, awful. Like he made me hide them the and then he would tell me he thought he knew where I was, hid them. So I needed to move them. And yeah. then Friday he ran out at like three o'clock and made me call the doctor because he didn't want to because he wanted a refill. And I was like, yeah, it's Friday. They're closed. They're not going to get it. And he was like, you better find me some. And I was like, yeah, you better suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That so, was rough. Rough yeah. time. I so, didn't want to come off. What do you guys uh, attribute your longstanding relationship to? Like- Fucking stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say. It's <laughs> <laughs> questionable. Um, I don't know. Wow. How long have you guys been together? We just celebrated uh, last Thursday 15 years of marriage. Wow. Years. A marriage. So you guys were together. Yeah, we had a couple that. years before that. So like 17 years. So what do you guys attribute that being together? What has kept you guys together? I'm fucking amazing, Jen. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm so humble. <laughs> um. A lot of commitment, if anything. I guess we, we've both been committed to the idea of continuing to try and try again and, and work on ourselves, I think. Uh, even now, like we still, right now, we, we had gotten a, a family therapist to kind of help with our daughter. And like, really, who goes now is me and Kim. And we kind of do marriage counseling with her pretty regularly because it's just like we want to have the best relationship we can have that's possible um doesn't fix everything but i i think there's a lot of trust that we both want to be here and so that helps but there's that that's now like jesus christ the whole time we've been together there's a lot of fucking mess so during that time you had sponsors programs people to lean on what about you did you have a program or people or support group or therapist how did you get through um early like early in our relationship, um, I didn't really notice, um, but had a tendency to alienate and isolate because, you know, he had stuff, but I had to take care of stuff at home and, um, he didn't always have the best attitude about things, um, that I was interested in. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I tended to alienate a lot of people early on. Um, and then at one point, I remember feeling like I was crazy. Um, like nothing I could do was right. Like basically I breathed his oxygen and that was wrong. Um, so I ended up finding a counselor that was fantastic. And then um, I started going to like Narnot meetings and stuff. That was um, super helpful because then that built kind of like a network of my own. But that meeting ended up folding and people... Like, so I don't talk to, I talk to one girl, but I don't talk to anybody anymore. If you've never thought of therapy as being a useful endeavor, what I will tell you right now is, uh, hearing you describe that portion of our marriage reminds me of my fucking childhood home and living with my father where nothing could be right. Right. So like the ways our childhoods unconsciously and subconsciously impact the relationships we form and the ways we act in them is incredible. And if we're living in a way that we don't have awareness that that is going on, we just tend to think everybody around us is fucking wrong and crazy and they need to get their shit together so that our life can be happy. Um, and, you know, I was sitting here thinking, I'm like, God, this episode is going to make me look bad, right? <laughs> but really, the truth is, this episode is going to show what 
uh, a healthy recovery can help somebody change in their life, man, because it, it is pretty drastic from where I was in my life to, to who I am today. And, and that's a product of, you know, recovery of 12 steps of people who loved and cared about me, uh, of therapy, of all kinds of different things that have been useful. So, wow. Yeah. Maybe work on becoming aware of your stuff in your life because it's useful. <laughs> So they often say that in any relationship, one person is the flower and the other person is the gardener. What would you say in your relationship? Who's the flower and who's the gardener? Who's blooming in this Ugh. relationship? And who's the one taking care of making sure that that is still happening? Ooh, that's an interesting way to look at it. I would say long term, I probably was the gardener. I make a good flower. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of you being the flower and me being like the really fucking terrible gardener. <laughs> <laughs> like just stepped on the fucking plants by accident. <laughs> oh shit, I mashed them again. I better replant them. <laughs> that's what I that's what came to mind with that analogy. I don't know. Uh, Let's talk about Billy and Jen. <laughs> Let's hear some of their struggles. I think in in a relationship with and I'm not gonna generalize our experience, just talk about us but we're both uh obsessive compulsive people um naturally self-centered and that does not make a good relationship (laughs) 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 so both of us being addicts and then being in recovery um i think that's mandatory it's been mandatory uh, for us to be in recovery in order to have a relationship and then practicing recovery to the best of our abilities, the only thing that has been able to get us through the storms of of life together. I dated a girl who had a decent amount of clean time, not 10 years. Like, you know, you had a bunch when you met Billy yeah. um, or when you guys decided to be in a relationship. But I, I this girl had like a couple, but she was kind of like the, I hate to say the it person around my area but like everybody knew who she was people respected her recovery they wanted her to speak places and i was you know fresh into this na stuff still understanding what the hell y'all were talking about and and we had gotten together and i spent a lot of time feeling like i couldn't argue with her or like my opinion wasn't as valid even though i felt strongly about it but i was like well she's got all that time i can't like maybe she knows shit i don't and did you ever experience that? I don't feel like you've expressed that you did. Um, was my ego not big enough, Billy? God. Yeah, I don't. So <laughs> I never felt like that with her. Like, really? Yeah, I don't think. Do you? Yeah, I think there was a um, time when it, I felt like you were in my shadow. You know, when it came to NA, everybody knew me. Well, and... I did in the meeting sense, yeah. but that was kind of okay because I didn't want a lot of personal attention anyway. Like, I didn't want to be a speaker. I I was too self-conscious for that stuff. So that was fine. Like, she was like the social person that knew everybody and everybody knew her. And, like, I was okay with that. Probably when I got three to five years, I started to resent it. But that's because I figured I had arrived by then. But I just want (laughs) to sing Barbara Streisand now. It must have been hard there in my shadow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, nobody that listens to this is old enough to know what the fuck I'm talking about. That's okay. Um, 
what went on for you with the whole, I mean, you know, 12 steps where like, you don't prey on the newcomers, you don't 13 step, you know, give people a chance, space to recover and all that. How did, did that affect you any? Did you feel like guilt about that? Or? And just for people that don't know, I think you had 11 years when we got together. Yeah, we met before that. Yeah, we had met I before had, I don't that. I know how much time I had been, five years? No, like three, two or three and then he came back, he was around for a while, and then he left, and I stayed, and then he came back around, and then when he came back, and I was like, oh, yeah, that dude. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, so he only had three months when we got together. Whoa. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Woo! So, yeah, just a couple. But we were hanging out the Robin whole time. Cradle. You know. <laughs> and, you know, he had worked three steps. He had a sponsor. He had a home group. He had all that stuff going on for him before we ever hooked up. So it wasn't like some some dude sitting alone in a corner just waiting, you know, for somebody that's going to take him away from all this. Because uh, I, I see those guys, you know, they got these moon eyes and they're like, please make my life right. <laughs> and um, it's like, no, thanks. Um, but Billy had a lot of stuff going on for me. He was very committed to his program way beyond me. Um, but there was an understanding with myself. And my sponsor, that if I was going to go down this path, that I had to treat him with the utmost respect and make sure my motives were good because you could kill somebody, you know, and that if this relationship wasn't going to go well, it wasn't going to be because I was a shitty person. It was like I knew going in that it would only end uh, when he said it was over and he hasn't said it's been over for 22 years. <laughs> so Not she's stuck you. with me now because she made some deal with her sponsor. Now. Sounds like that Meatloaf song, that yeah. Paradise by the Dashboard Light, right? <laughs> Wasn't sure how long forever it was going to be when I said that goddamn thing. So that's, that's interesting, I guess. And, and I don't know. I mean, you were clean during a time when i was not so i don't know what it was then right but during my time in recovery like people get in three months and then disappear and happens all the fucking time i mean god i've seen so many people that can get three months or six months or a year was it the same for you were you like i mean were you counting on him staying there how can you have the feeling of like hey this could be something real when like you've seen so many people walk out the door and never come back or because I didn't have a vision. And I don't know if you guys oh. had a shared vision of where it was going and where you were going to be and a vision of where you're working towards. But it is really just for today. You know, um, we're here today. We're doing the right things today. Hmm. And it's been 22 years, you know, later. So it's shocking. We just had our anniversary. And yeah. I can't believe we've been together this long, you know, because it's been ups and downs. It, it's not the... I thought after people were together for this long, it was like bore fest, you know, it's going to be like, oh, you just wake up and there he is and there he is all day. And I'm just like, okay. But it hasn't been that way. It's been a lot of <laughs> fighting and loving, loving large and fighting hard and crying and, um, you know, torture at times and really great stuff. I never thought I'd ever experience or be worthy of having a family and having kids that are healthy and like who I never thought that could happen hmm. for me, man. And see, I always, uh, and this is probably a terrible uh, thing to say for myself, but I always, I look at some of my more not healthy 
behaviors and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a good addict in that sense, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'll refer to myself like that. And I'm like, oh Jen, you must not have been a good addict. Like I shared with Kim my vision of our retirement on our first date. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, she bought into that. You better deliver. Um, a good obsessive person I am. Like I was all in from moment one. Yeah. <laughs> I try to get Billy to, to just give me a goal. Can we just share a goal? And he's like, dude, no, I don't have any goals. I don't know. <laughs> Like, I just tomorrow. need to know what we're doing. And then if he doesn't say it, then I make it up. I just like, well, this sounds good. Let's head this way. But you had it from this jump. You knew what you wanted to do. He introduced me to his parents as the woman he was going to marry. I was like, um, news to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sweet. I'm obsessive. Yeah, sweet. It's, it's, it's <laughs> That's sweet. What you call it. <laughs> Normal people are like disturbing. I'm right. like, oh, that's well, so charming. kind of like push away. Like I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll see you in like two weeks. I don't. I think we need a break. <laughs> a little creepy. That's normal people. That's healthy. Right. Yeah. Come on strong like a stalker, you know, and they're like, oh, let's just, you know. I was like, slow down Take there. some distance. But addicts are like, yes, you and me together <laughs> right. forever. You well, must I, care. I, I Natural <laughs> born killers. Yes. I remember one time I was going to go away like for a bachelorette party, like a weekend or whatever. And he like picked a fight with me, like when it was time to go. And I was like, yeah, I'm leaving. And he was like, what do you mean you're leaving? And I was like, you can be pissed off. And on Sunday at 6 o'clock when I get home, we can pick this back up or you can get over it and I'll see you Sunday. Either way, I'm walking out the door. And he was like, no, that's not how this was supposed to go. You're supposed to stay. And I was like, no, bye. And I like left. And he was like so shocked because he was like, no, you're supposed to stay and fight and make up with me. And I'm like, yeah, on Sunday when I get back, we can do that. That's what's up right there. That's a magic thing. <laughs> Insecurity. Wow. I know. I've offered her money to go on more of them now. <laughs> like, go away for the weekend. You're good. Please. So, uh, you know, we I hear the stories of like, oh, this person went to too many meetings and it took away from their relationship with maybe a person who's not in recovery, which I don't necessarily think we ever ran into that, but more because probably my lack of involvement at times. But for you guys, like, I feel like that's not a challenge and yet it, it's a different challenge. Like, it's not, are we hitting too many meetings? It's more like, well, now we have a kid. How can we still both get to meetings and how can we still both have time for our separate recoveries How, how's that worked out yeah. well early on we had the same home group for a while right yeah before we had yeah. kids but there was a time when i was like speaking all the time and going out with sponsees all the time billy's like come on and then i had to you know learn how to balance um that, that definitely happened um but we i believe that, that staying out of each other's recovery I, I don't know if that applies to everybody i think that if you're two people in recovery and you don't support each other in your recovery process you can be almost like strangers you know it's like mm. my my best friend my I want you know my confidant my supporter he helps me look at different things I mean particularly early on but we did have like some major struggles uh, particularly and I know you've shared this on the podcast and everything um, but Billy was like God focused and like before we got married, we met with our preacher man who I loved, Pastor Lyons, who's in Ohio. Um, but he made us write down like, what do you need from a partner, no matter who it is? And, you know, for me, some of those things was you have to be a positive person because I'm quite negative. Mm. And um, you have to believe in God because this life is hard enough without somebody who believes in God along your side. You know, and I can't 
talk people into that shit. You either got to be there or not with me. And then um can't remember what some of the other things were, but Billy was totally committed to family. Yeah, committed to family. And kids. And he's all those things up until our children were molested by my stepfather, who was a priest. And at that time is when he, you know, we talk about that four-legged table right. of recovery, one being your sponsor, one being God, one being your step work, and one being the fellowship. And if you have them all under you, you're going to be strong. Well, his God left, like, definitely kicked out. And um, that was a big traumatic time for him and his recovery. And that just... It was a traumatic time for me in my personal life, but I couldn't really lean on him because he was so fucked up. You know, that I don't think the God leg has completely come back for Billy in the same way. But at that time, it was, um, that was a big time uh, challenge. What does keeping your recoveries somewhat separate look like? So that's always the suggestion, but I feel like you kind of just said slightly contrary to that. Like, no, like, let's not really. I think they're talking about like keeping, like, don't take each other's inventory or also focus take on each yourself. other's inventory all the yeah, way. Yeah, we do all we that stuff. <laughs> I mean, she's one of my biggest sources for talking about step work. I mean, obviously, I don't necessarily share my fifth step, you know, with her, but we talk about most things going on in life. I don't, I mean, I don't know all my intimate. history, but all my current life, she knows everything about. Mm. You have you know? to be, in order to have intimacy, you have to have vulnerability. In order to have vulnerability, you have to practice honesty. And uh, there's no other way around it, man. That's what I've learned here anyway. But there was something that I was going to say about, uh, like, Billy did the step a year stuff. I was like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? How are you even alive doing a step <laughs> a year? What the fuck? And he would not let me pressure him into, like, moving it faster. Um, I did the first three really fast. Yeah, and, and then, then he was just like, <laughs> Then he got a girlfriend. And, uh, yeah, we <laughs> had a house, <laughs> and we had kids, and a job, <laughs> and, yeah, no time for that shit now. Got what I needed. <laughs> See, I feel like that's where I've struggled with a partner not in recovery. I'm like, well, I can take your inventory. I'm good at that, right? <laughs> I know but I don't trust inventory. you're taking my inventory because you don't even have a fucking program. <laughs> like, you don't know what you're talking about, right? Like, I, I belittle the information because I, you know, yeah. instead of just being able to accept, like, this is what someone's experiencing, it was easier for me to say, well, I'm sorry that's your experience, but that's not really what's happening. You're just, oh, you need to How you guys did it. Oh. Yeah. There was a lot of that. Because you have all the language of all the feelings oh, as a result yeah. of the steps. And earth people, my experience, they just practice that stuff. They're just naturally that way. They don't even know that there's a word for that. You know, they're just that way. <laughs> and addicts, we like, no, we have to look at like respect and get the definition and then practice oh, it in these respect. situations in areas that we, we notice that we're being disrespectful or like acceptance. We have to get the definition and, and then apply it. And earth people are just like, what are you talking about? That's just what, <laughs> right. what, what you do. We're getting ready to have a side argument about how respect doesn't actually exist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm down. It's not you know I'm thing. ready, Jason. <laughs> totally made up. All right. Um, no, we don't have to go that way. So one of the things, um, you know, we have this concept of staying out of relationships for a year, which I don't know that any of us necessarily believe is the thing. I get some of the ideas behind it, like it's a dangerous time in your recovery. When I you're heard new. it came from treatment. That's where I heard it, it came might have from. Been. I mean, it, it, 
relationships can produce a lot of strong feelings, right? A lot of strong emotional reactions that we might not be in a state that we're ready to handle early in recovery. I kind of get some of that idea, but I don't know that it's actually a useful practice. But one of the things that has come up in conversing about whether it is a useful practice or a useful statement is the idea that maybe staying out of relationships until we finish a seventh step, per se. Right, like get an idea of who we truly are. Seven first. years. Right, right. <laughs> well, he'd have done them in seven months if you wouldn't have got there. <laughs> but no, just thinking about this idea of like, how can I know what I want in a partner if I don't even know who I am yet? And how do I know what I'm bringing to the table in a partnership if I don't know who I am in yet? Do so you that's know who you are right now, Jason. I don't know who I am right now. I'm constantly changing. I can tell you what my values are today and who I am today, but that will change. I think that whole stay out of relationships for a year sets people up to lie to their sponsors, Mm. to have shame, um, doesn't give them the tools that they need to survive um, because we all are human beings and sex is a part of that. I mean, have you ever talked to people? I know I have. That have taken that year relationship thing and it's like 20 years later and they're like, oh, I've done it so long that it's been this long. I'm so awesome. It's like, no, dude, you're like socially re- <laughs> you know, um, or they've taken that and said, oh, I've ever talked to people and I have where they're like, I haven't been in a relationships for a year, but I'll go buy sex on the corner because I'm still in. The- That's not really a relationship. Right. I can go purchase sex. It's like, isn't that a little more twisted than just having an honest relationship with <laughs> right. somebody? The best of your ability. Or yeah. the whole thing about um, if I'm just honest with a person, that means we're going to have sex together. I'm not going to have any feelings for you. And you're not going to have any feelings for me. So we can kind of stay in this year thing. Mm. But isn't that socially related? I don't know. Um, I, I think- can't use that word Oh, yeah. I'm using it. I got it. I claim it. It's it's me. If I feel that I have been socially, then I can say that. Um, Because that has been me, where I'm like the whole cart in front of the horse thing in in relationships where sex comes first. You know, that's how most of us live out there. It's like relationships happen if the sex was good. If, you know, I still liked you the next day, then maybe we would you know, have a relationship. So it's like that whole year thing. I don't know where it really came from. I know it's not in our literature, but I'm a sexual harm reductionist. (laughs) And that means to me, give people the tools and talk about it. Talk about, you know, we can't get good at something unless we practice it. You know, and for practicing it with principles, honesty, respect, you know, um, humility, it's, It can be a part of our, and it should be, it shouldn't be something separate or on hold. There's no magic wand for at one year, you're going to magically know how to be involved in relationship because you're magically going to know yourself. It's like, no, it takes work and, and that work can happen from day one. It can happen in the relationships you're in. It can happen in the people you're attracted to. Um, You know, you can do this and you don't have to hide and be afraid. There's a cliche. There's <laughs> a cliche you don't hear often anymore. Whenever two people get naked and in a bed, feelings are caught. I used to hear that all the time. <laughs> like there was no feelingless sex that didn't really exist. It, you bring up a concept in uh, some of the S programs, like the Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. They have these 
you know, they set their own bottom line about what behaviors are not, they're not going to participate in for a certain amount of time. And for some people that might be abstinence for that entire span of time, right? It might not be, it's adjustable, but they, they do encounter a problem where people say, okay, I'm going to stay out of dating and relationships for a year. I just need to focus on myself and get healthy. And then at the end of that year, they become very hesitant to get back into that, right? There's like this new fear of what will happen if I open this door again? And they, they call it sexual anorexics, right? This idea that like you will now go three and a half years when really your only goal was to go (laughs) like six months, but you just don't know how to jump back into, you know, that normal behavior, you know? So you bring up an interesting idea though. So, okay. So my theory going into this was like, okay, I want to get a good idea of who I am at least at this point in time in my life, right? What I can bring to the table, what I offer to a relationship. And I want to get a good idea of what's important to me and a partner, right? Like maybe I can tolerate that they're not the most organized person, but if they don't give a fuck about people who are struggling, I probably won't like that so much. So I need to at least have some ideas about what matters to me and my partner. But the way you describe that, because we are always are ever growing and changing, hopefully, relationships are really just a total crapshoot. Like, we're just fucking guessing, like, hey, you're cool today. You might not be in five years. You might not be in five days. But aren't they in high school, too? I mean, when you meet somebody at 17 and then you get married and spend the rest of your life together, you don't know what that person's going to be. I agree, (laughs) but I guess I just, I've, can you imagine, I don't even know what, I was going to say buying a car, but that's not even as long lasting as a marriage. (laughs) But like, can you imagine buying a car and being like, eh? Might drive over the next week, might drive over the next year. Who the fuck knows, right? Like, let's go. Like, I like to have some kind of idea that when I'm getting into a relationship, like, there's something there that it's built on that's not going to change too much. Yeah, but you that's don't scary. know. I mean, yeah. it, it requires the cooperation of the whole other person. You know, I've seen and been involved in relationships. You can't, it's particularly in recovery, man, when people use, you know, you don't know if they'll ever come back. Right. And not many do. You just don't know. Like, it's something I guess, to be grateful for if you right. have something that has been uh, long standing with somebody that you still love and they still love you and you guys still have the same goals and, and dreams. That's something to be so super mm. grateful for. Um, and I'm so glad that you're experiencing that together. <laughs> This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. So I've always had this opinion when people come into recovery and they were already dating somebody while they were using and now they come into recovery and, and attempt to continue with that same individual. I'm like, that's never going to fucking work, right? Because in my head, there's this idea of like, you know, the whole birds of a feather flock together or water seeks its own level. Like you have a a mental health number somewhere between one and ten. And your partner is probably somewhere in that vicinity, right? If you're a three, they might be a two or a four. But generally, that's why you have something in common and some relatable space. 
And if you come into recovery and grow and you're like a seven now and there's still a two or a four or a three, that shit is never going to work, right? Which I ran into in my struggles with a person not in recovery. And I don't even know if this was true, but the story I told myself was that I am fucking growing and becoming a better human. And you are not. <laughs> like, you don't have a program to grow, so you're just there. And now I'm way healthier than you. And I don't know. I guess that that same struggle could exist in two people in recovery. Like, if one person's not working on themselves as much as the other one. Or, you know, they talk about growing apart or growing in different directions. like. It just seems like a scary idea. Like, I don't know. Right now, I'm like, why the fuck would anybody ever want to get in a relationship? <laughs> That's terrifying. Well, I think for us, anyway, like recovery and the values of recovery are the basis for our marriage and how we raise our kids and how we live our life. Like, that's the basis for what we do. I don't, I guess for normal people, I don't know what relationships are based on yeah i don't think people change as much as people who are in recovery do i mean all the people that i know that are earth people they stay pretty much the same they don't go through big overhauls like we do Mm -hmm. you know we go through overhaul after overhaul after overhaul in recovery but like most of the people that i know that are normal they stay pretty on the even keel they don't really change that much at all unless there's something drastic that happens to them but like i think of your family my family members are all well my family's all earth people i mean they've stayed the same you know graduate from school you get with somebody they're still married 50 years later they go to college they have jobs they they retire they have kids um so i was right you haven't changed (laughs) well that was kind of well that was going to be kind of my question for Kim is like, do you feel like you've grown and changed over your relationship? And is that anything to do with like stuff you had to say learn from Jason? Cause he loves to teach us lots of things, uh-huh. but, <laughs> but anything that Billy like you've me. <laughs> seen through like recovery or has that been stuff you've done on your own or do you feel like the same person? Um, yes. Um, <laughs> like when I met Jason, I think I saw potential. And like, I, so, cause he's, he always likes to throw that out that I'm probably like a two on that one to 10. He's like, well, you're, you were probably a two when I met you. And so you're probably still a two. And I'm like, you yeah, know, <laughs> um, but I mean, I have changed, but it, it, a lot of it is like growing through him, like stuff like, well, with him, I guess, like with, um, I should have put her through. <laughs> I had to grow. Her. I, I wasn't going to say that. that terrible guy. <laughs> Like, you know, just different stuff that we've been through, like, learning. But I don't think that I've gone through major overhauls like he has. Um, and if I did, they're definitely not as noticeable or as visible, visible as his. Yeah, but I'm seen, crazy. You've seen, like, noticeable things in him? Like, oh, yeah. big overhauls? On oh, those. yeah. Huh. I'm literally sleeping with my mouth taped shut, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> because I believe that nose breathing is the answer now. <laughs> And I just have to support all this crazy <laughs> shit that comes out of his mouth. So every other week when I read a new book, I'm like, "This is the one." And I'm like, "Okay." Jen does the same thing with me. She tolerates me and my podcast stuff all the time. Oh my gosh! And I don't know how scientific this was, but it's somebody with a degree, uh, so maybe there's some relevance <laughs> to it. But they they observe that people in recovery tend to choose 
to date a very different type of person when they first enter recovery versus later on in their recovery, which I don't know, kind of to me fed into this idea that we, we do pick different people. We're into different things. Right. But I guess if both people are growing or changing, that doesn't matter. And and I guess that happens like you said, on either, whether you're in recovery or not, like there's still challenges that you can choose to like face and grow through or not. Right. That's always an option. It's not recovery world doesn't have a, a, a lockdown on, you know, the only people who grow, even though I like to think that for a long time, because it was what I was doing. But I, I guess it is just this idea that like, do we end up growing in the same direction or not? And maybe that's where what you talked about with the intimacy and the vulnerability, right? If, if I'm keeping my program separate from my partner, and I'm only talking to my network, and I'm becoming more like those guys, right? You're the average of the five people you're closest with, or whatever that theory, like, that doesn't necessarily include becoming more like my partner. And maybe we do tend to grow apart. Whereas if you guys are sort of involved in in each other's network and you are intimate and vulnerable about that, you become one of those five people that would, you know, for each other. And you, you do grow more in the same direction. Yeah, I think that I would have never lasted with Billy if I dated him when I had three months clean. I mean, water seeks its own level. I think it took me all those years to get in a position to even, you know, be, you know, mm. able to be in a, a committed, honest relationship. I mean, I was horrible at, at all relationships. And my sponsor once said, Jennifer, if you're at the convention and you're on the dance floor, because this is back in the you know, late 80s, when we were dancing, <laughs> 90s. You know, and you see the man of your dreams, I want you to turn around and run away. <laughs> you will die. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I had so much relationship horror. I, I just was not in any position that was like, and I heard it explained like, I was going through people, you know, it was like Normandy, you know, bodies <laughs> on the beach, just rolling through people, you know, and I had to get through all that stuff to even get in a position to appreciate and be able to be a person that would, could be in a committed long-term relationship. Um, and Billy just had so many qualities coming in the door mm. of NA. I mean, he was, <laughs> you know, he was, I don't, he wasn't, you know, he'd been to jail and all this stuff, but he had some really serious, I think it came from the Catholic church <laughs> <laughs> beliefs and I was, and that he would live by. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that shame runs deep. And, and he, <laughs> even over this whole relationship time, I mean, he has held some of those things. Um, I know. I keep getting him, trying to get him to talk about sex more. And he's like, oh, I, don't <laughs> I was know, hoping dude. we were going to talk about that today. <laughs> I was like, come on, Billy, let's talk. <laughs> but I've been the crazy one a lot of times in our relationship. So even though we're both in recovery, I'm the one that's like, all right, you don't have any goals? Well, then let's sell the house and let's go buy, <laughs> let's get, get an RV and drive around the country and work at different campgrounds. Let's um, talk about, I mean, one, I just heard her say you're way healthier than her, by the way, yeah. uh, for you. But let's talk about how hard it is to be the person that thinks they're the problem in a relationship because that's a fucking pain in the ass to have plague my brain. Well, then I got better, and then I realized he was a sick motherfucker. <sighs> yeah, I that's a bad place to problem. be too. Deep sick. <laughs> Deep with that sick. <laughs> Like mine's surface sick. <laughs> kind of get treatment or something for that, but his are like core sick. You know? <laughs> I, I feel like uh, what you just expressed to me, and and maybe this isn't what your experience is, but for me, it is very much this like 
opposite extremes of like I struggle with thinking I am the perfect partner and I got everything right and everyone else is the problem to to flip flopping back to the other side of like god how can I be so horrible it is hard to have a mentality where it's like hard to just see myself as just a human or just an equal or just a part of this relationship instead of being like either the monster or the angel right and that is a struggle just to be in that place i don't even know how the hell i can have a relationship with any human what helps me out a lot with that is a constant application of step six and seven in my life and a reevaluation of those steps a new application of who i am now you know um yeah the steps steps of the way i don't know i still feel like a horrible person some days um what do you think it would have been like for you guys if you had dated or married a partner not in recovery how do you feel like that would differ from the challenges you've had having a partner in recovery i totally not go to meetings anymore <laughs> really like not, i don't oh. know for sure but well, that justifies what i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> oh. i don't know about that because i've definitely looked at you and like ah you need to go call somebody or go to a meeting or like something because yeah recently no not recently oh. just curious just checking on myself at different parts in time <laughs> just getting some feedback there if i was with an earth person i probably would have been committed to a mental institution before now um because Without having somebody that understands, like, the insanity of step two, you know, um, my will versus God's will, um, shortcomings, meditation, amends. And, you know, if I had somebody that didn't know that stuff, um, I probably would be feeling like I was sitting alone with some of my, you know, obsessive, compulsive, and self-centeredness. But just having somebody who understands that and understands the tools, like, have you talked to your sponsor and uh you know seeing him working on his stuff that this can be similar to mine and seeing him get better and talking to me about how he gets better through the application of those principles i just feel like if i was with an earth person i just can't imagine them hanging out with me for very long because i would just be like they'd be like whoa you are way too much (laughs) now or then um at times in my recovery. So then, yeah. and, you know, could be now. That's yeah. interesting. And that's, I mean, even now, like say she's a big motivator to me of just her connection, you know, consistency in recovery and, you know, keeping, staying in that process. Like I'm a, I'm a fatty kind of person, like fad, F-A-D. Like yeah, I, yeah, you know, fatty. hear the latest and greatest thing and, oh, we got to do this diet and I got to do this exercise. You got to tape your mouth do at this night, health bro. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I got to tape my mouth at night. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the, answer. the new thing. <laughs> yeah. um, and I can get so easily kind of lost, you know, on, with the best intentions, thinking, oh, this is what I need to make me better now. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's what I think would happen to me if I was with someone not in recovery. If they didn't keep me kind of in check or grounded to be like, no, you're self-centered and you need to be over here. Yeah, because addiction is not drugs. I mean, that's a symptom. You know, and then I put them down and then I have me and the way that I think and view people and the world and life and God and, and all those things. That's the stuff that gets is so sick on its own. I'm just talking about me um, that I go back to drugs or I go to sex or work or some kind of fix. Um, you know, so that is a serious 
issue to have bring to a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm going to become at times really obsessed with you. I'm going sometimes I'm going to want to fuck you all the time, <laughs> and then other times I'm going to be like, no, I want to go, you know, uh, do something else. And but I'm really trying to get out of myself i really need to talk to you about my real self my real feelings i, I don't know i've never been with an earth person very long to know is that the kind of conversations you guys have i guess the one thing that comes to mind when we're saying this is that and i don't know if this was some buying in on my part uh, of just like practicing this this trust in this relationship or in this individual really but somehow along the way i felt like it was safe enough to share the ugliest darkest parts of me and and not feel like it was going to be held against me and that has been a fucking saving grace so many times really like just to be able to have that person where i can be like look this is what the fuck is in me right now and not feel like they looked at me the way i look at me because of that i was like whoa that's pretty powerful. So I don't know if that's something you did that allowed me to do that or some fucking God-given thing or universe-given ability, but that is like, saved my life, probably. That's beautiful. That's the magic of Earth people. Don't you <laughs> love them? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I know one of the struggles, like, for me is you kind of touched on it earlier. Like, if I would have told you to, like, breathe through your mouth or breathe through your nose, like, whatever it took, like, you had been like, yeah, whatever. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And then, like, you know, Billy will tell him and he'll be like, well, Billy said to try this. And so now I got to try this. And I'm like, dude, I said that last week. And you're like, yeah, but you don't know what you're talking about. He does. And I'm like, so because I wasn't in that network, I never knew what I was talking about. No. Regardless. I'm in the network and Billy says the same shit to me. <laughs> He's like, no, no, it's good. But YouTube said, okay. <laughs> okay, so then it's just you. <laughs> but I do usually admit when she was I'm like, yeah, you were right. I should have listened to you. Like but he never remembers ago. that the next time. <laughs> it's always the same thing. You don't know what you're talking about. So I, I guess I thought uh, the surfacey, surfacey struggles of a, a non-recovering person relationship would be the bigger struggles. At least it felt like it early on, like Kim, Kim drinks, mm. not frequently, but she does. And yeah, one of the things I guess I notice is that she enjoys when she does, right? And That's it's what like. It's there. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, but you usually encourage you do me to overindulge. Like, we love around. seeing people get wasted. Oh my God, like, I do it to my sister. I'd be like, "Now nah, I'm good." And he's like, "What do you mean? You've only had one." And I'm like, "I'm good." <laughs> I'm driving tonight. Have a few more. <laughs> right. Yes. I've actually changed on that. It's awful to be around drunk people. Yeah, I, I don't want it at all. I overindulged one day, and he had to actually take care of me, and that was yeah, enough. And after a, that, he's like, "You know, I think you've had enough." And I'm like, "Good. I don't want to." I don't want to be the gardener anymore. Fuck your flower. No, but yeah, so I, that, like, we hung out, we met at Bob Evans, we had co-workers, we went out to bars and stuff, um, and I guess I had, like, two years or something around that, and most of the time it felt fine, but there was, like, that one occasion where I remember where it was, like, just wasn't in a good mood, and we were there, and I'm like, everybody else seems happy, I want to be fucking happy, I should drink too, right? And I don't know that, I mean, obviously, I'm probably not at a bar if I'm with a recovering person. 
But then even like on our honeymoon, we went to an all-inclusive resort and that's what everything is, is drinking, right? There's a beach bar, there's a swim-up pool bar, there's a fucking kayak-up bar, whatever. Like, you can get a bar anywhere. And I'm like, sure. and there was a point in my honeymoon where I was like, she was getting ready. Thank God for women taking forever to get ready, by the way, because she was getting ready uh, for us to go to dinner. And I was like, I'm drinking tonight. This is dumb. I'm here. I'm just doing it. And then, you know, I had talked myself out of it by the 45 minutes later it took her to get ready. But... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that those thoughts happen as much. Like, I can't imagine being on a honeymoon with somebody in recovery and thinking, I'm just going to tell them when they come out of the shower that I'm going to have a drink. Like, I'm probably like, I'm not saying that to them. Yeah, but is there more of a danger if one of those people uses and trying to get the other person to use with them, too? Like, that's a whole other thing. Like, if I were to use, you know, what I tell her and then what I try to get her to. Yeah, she asks me all the time. When, when, we, when we're old, can we get drunk? When we're at the senior center together? I, I don't <laughs> want to get drunk. I may or may not, depending on if I got scammed, have a psilocybin chocolate bars on the way to my house. So. Shut up. <laughs> Shut we talked about I said I can't be the person to like watch you when you I do it. I need a babysitter. No, oh I'm, my too, I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at. I would at. so like, be I in there so with you. What, that's what I said. I was oh like, I so know what I'm looking at, and I would be I wanting to do it. Their reasons are different, though. They would participate. Oh, yeah. I would want to do it. But I don't know if I feel comfortable enough with any of my coworkers. I don't know. I think you need to sign up for that Johns Hopkins. I tried that. They didn't. They didn't accept you? Maybe you should go to Washington State. Don't they do that there? I don't know. A lot more frequently. Yeah, but I think if around an earth person that used and they were, I would think that I wouldn't be too serious about them. You know what I mean? Like I couldn't be. Hmm. You know, like, yeah, we'll have fun right now, but you got to go later <laughs> if I'm going to stay alive. And they don't understand that this is my disease. I have to take responsibility for it. They can't. They can't prevent me from getting high, but I can't be around people who consistently use, you know, like I will change my mind about, I'll do the same thing. I'll be like, yeah, it'll be okay. We have probably had alcohol in our house most of the time we've been together. I mean, there's like five bottles of wine sitting on our counter now that don't tempt me. They just annoy the piss out of me because they block my, yeah, I can't get to the microwave the way I'd like to. Uh, (laughs) They're not even in front of the microwave. But I I, th- I find it fascinating because I know who I have been in my life. And to be a guy who, like, never even thinks about that in that aspect, it's not like, oh, there's wine. Should I drink that when I don't feel good? I'm like, oh, I don't feel good. Maybe I want a marshmallow donut. <laughs> like, I don't ever think about the alcohol until it gets in my fucking way and it's annoying that it's sitting there. But that You don't know what day you will. And that's my philosophy. It's just for me mm-hmm. is I don't know what day I will. You know, and if it's right there, chances, that's just one extra step I don't have to. And for me, like alcohol doesn't do it for me. me. You know what I mean? Like it's not, I'm not like, oh yeah, go get drunk. Like that doesn't sound fun. But if it was like weed, like if I was around smelling weed all the time, I mean. I'm outside. I smell it at the neighbors. I'm like, where is that coming from? Right. <laughs> like, yeah, the I got to know house. who's got the good weed. <laughs> like, you know, so that would be a lot harder. I, I do think it's interesting you brought up the challenge of if one person in recovery wants to use, does that endanger the couple of both using? I mean, the, the girl I was saying that I felt like I was uh, not as good as, uh, she did end up on pain medicine for something or other. And then we used together because she asked right. me if oh, I wanted so to. Tragic. And, uh, yeah, I guess that is a, a, an issue when you're both in recovery. Like, 
will I go? Because I, I think for me, and I don't know if this is universal, I was probably not just going to go get high on my own. But if there was a partner in crime, yeah. that didn't feel so bad. Like, that felt, okay. Well, probably for the first, I'd say, five years of our marriage, I pretty much thought, oh, if she ever used, I would leave. I would have to leave. Like, I don't, that would just, I don't think I could stay clean or, you know, be a good partner to somebody like that. Like, now it's different because we've been together so long. I don't know what I would do, but. Hopefully you would leave. Like if he ever used, I would leave. Like if yeah. they stay using, it's once if they yeah. slip. Yeah. And yeah. Like, but it's but it, see, we're so slick. We're like we're good. First, it starts off as you know, I really don't need those meetings. Right. I don't need them at all. In fact, I have this and this instead. And then it's like, yeah, I'm not doing. I'm not. I only meet with a sponsor because I'm good. I'm past that. And. Now I don't need, I'm not involved with service. And then that, that becomes the norm. She's telling then, my story. She is. You shut up. And then it, then it's like, I can socially use. I can use a mushroom bar um, <laughs> to, story. Yeah, to be okay. And it's going to be totally fine. And it's fucking scary as hell. And, and that's, that's what's scary about it. Because he's <laughs> very good at manipulating me. And knows what to say. So he would probably empty the bank accounts before I figured it out. And he's very good at manipulating his own self. Yes. You know what I mean? And then he's putting you in. And I've seen it so many times, dude. Been around now for what? This next month will be 33 years. Um, But, you know, I've also seen people who use uh, that don't go off the deep end. Um, That doesn't happen as often, you know, but. For me, it's just like I know where I came from, and I, I there's so much I love about my life, and Billy's one of them that I don't, I'm not fucking playing, man. Um, you know what I mean? I have so much to stay on the path for, I have so much to lose that me trying to tell myself that somehow I, I've got the angle now is just terrifying. Um, and that's what he can call me out on. If I'm not going to meet so people can't call me out on that stuff. Mm. It's just me. And I mean, I'll still my call him out on friend. it. Just doesn't doesn't hit us because you don't know. I'll be like, um, when was the last time? Or like, when was the last time you talked to your sponsor? When was the last time this? And he'll be like, don't worry about it. You're not in recovery. That's not for you. So Jason, you uh, again, thought this, this was a podcast, like, but it's, it's an really intervention. an intervention. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I'm I'm assuming you're talking about that previous, from previous, previous times. Yeah. So, and, and it's interesting. Look, I I do not hold the monopoly on knowing everything. I, I guarantee that. Um, the more I learn, the less I feel like I truly know, which is I think is a beautiful part of recovery. Um, and and maybe five months, a year, five years from now, I come back to this table and say damn man jen had it spot on all them people that said that were totally right but it really at this moment feels so much different and i i try to evaluate is this like a self-lie i i feel like i'm going about it in the way that feels responsible for me i'm including people in my decision making process and in letting them know exactly where i'm at i frequently ask people for like reflection of me um hey keep your eyes on me because i stopped taking my antidepressant i want to make sure i don't do anything fucking loony like if you see something please i'm inviting you to say something to me um and these are people that i'm around you know a lot of days of the week um and it's it's more born out of a place of 
really feeling like I'm tired of the fucking merry-go-round I'm on, you know? I become very internally nervous system survival state, just like my childhood reactionary to my life. My kids do some shit that is what kids do. I want to fucking scream at them and, you know, punch them in the face and have trouble regulating that. So I'm like, I need an antidepressant. And so I get on an antidepressant and it solves that. And then six months in, I'm like, I can't fucking feel. I can't cry. I can't connect to people anymore. And now I got to get off of this shit. And then it's like this vicious, and this is a cycle I've been on for 12 years and I'm fucking tired of the cycle. Like I know I'm tired of, does it work? Yes. It has kept me okay. But I'm tired of going back to these same solutions that I already know where they go. And it's like, I'm trying to trust in this, this new research and these new understandings and and to go about it as safely as I can. And, and I hope I'm not wrong. I do not want to throw my life away. Right. But I also don't want to keep living a half life. I hear you. And you know, it's, it's wouldn't be me to not challenge. Right. I get you. But I, I appreciate hear what it. you're saying though, that, um, you know, desperate times call for desperate solutions. You know, and I think it's good that we continue to look for things that are going to make our lives better, you know. I think some of the things that comfort me, at least, like, I am terrified of the actual experience. Like, I'm hoping for the results. I'm really not looking forward to going through with the actual experience, I, I which seems fucking ridiculous to say, but I, I'm not. I'm scared of it. I'm like, I'm so used to being me and me and my body that I don't know what the fuck I'm going to feel like when I'm not. That terrifies me. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. You should take Billy because Billy needs that shit too. He needs to get like separation from his body for a minute so he can think about the ride. That's another thing that weighs on my mind, and we were way off the marriage topic for a minute, but like <laughs> in dealing with some of the people I work with and seeing that medicine is not working for them either, and it's like, how the fuck can I help you? And it's so hard to sit here and not be able to have something of use to offer you. Well, I've never done a ton of research, but what little I know about SSRIs and antidepressants is not good. <laughs> like, you know, none of it's very good. So, so to bring us back to marriage uh, <laughs> and, and away from other things, like, this is interesting because it's definitely not where I thought we were going to go. I thought we were going to talk about the little particulars of like this kind of stuff happens when you're both in recovery and this kind of stuff happens when you're, you know, one partner's not in recovery or this is, these are the, like, here's the rule list of 10 commandments of recovery relationships. And this is what you got to do. You focus on your own recovery and you let them do them and you have separate home groups. And, and it wasn't none of that. Basically like the one thing that was said that I thought was really I don't know about useful. There's a lot of useful stuff, but that piece of like, it's just about being intimate and vulnerable and, and hoping for the best and never knowing, but being open to this will work or it won't work. And it works today. And that's awesome. And let's keep trying. Like, that's what I heard. Yeah. I'm just glad I found somebody that we were on a similar path or on a similar path. And that sort of always gives us a direction and a focus to kind of come back to because like say i do tend to get off all the time i do tend to go in different directions and think you know different things and having a foundation of what morals and values and ethics we're living our life by and running our marriage by is really really helpful i feel like my big question now is did you happen to meet somebody 
where you two were kind of on a similar life trajectory? Or is it because of what you've done in relation to each other that you've managed to stay on that similar life trajectory? That's my question. He's just got, you know, if you have shared values, right? Isn't that what it's really about? No matter what pathway in recovery, our recovery, maybe it's just you have shared values. Like Billy and I both have strong family values and loyalty and honesty um commitment you know commitment is huge he is like above and beyond commitment so it's like he takes these spiritual principle values and like but they're all the good ones so i'm just like yeah this dude is you know awesome i could learn a lot you know from him and and he has helped me to stick by those values in my weak times you know um and if he wasn't so strong on them i don't think we would have made it through you know, so it sounds like you guys have a lot of those same shared values, though you might not put them in the same context, <laughs> like the same wording that we use, but it, it sounds like it's the same. Well, it's, I mean, I don't know how much it makes a difference. Like I grew up in a household, not necessarily the healthiest household, but like my parents loved each other and had a lot of those shared values. So I saw a lot of that growing up, you know. There wasn't like abuse in my home or neglect. My parents loved each other, were committed to each other. You know, my dad was pretty much home every night. Still question yeah. all that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do we have shared values? I think so. Do we? I think so. I feel like I, all you the things question that... my values, or you want to know how deep they go all the time, <laughs> just to try to show how they're different than yours. But well, Jen just listed off a bunch of these shared values that she believes they have, and they're all these spiritual principles. That most of them are things we've done an episode on so far, and all of them I've been like, I don't even know if I really think this is real. <laughs> Every time we do a spiritual principle, I'm like, one, I'm not sure this is actually a real thing, right? And two, if it is, I don't think the goal is to do it all the time. I think there's this nice middle path of like, this is how much honest you're supposed to be in your life. So it was just fascinating to hear that. And I'm like, well, what values do we share? Because I feel like the only value I share with anything is I just want to question everything. <laughs> the only thing I find important. I think that's just a stage you're going through. Is it? I don't know. Is it a stage? Uh, I think it's more... Like, I think maybe you're just more comfortable being vocal about questioning yeah. everything instead of, like, thinking you're weird to question it. Oh, self-acceptance. I think it's too much school. <laughs> I definitely think you guys have shared family values. I don't, I I see don't think that. it's too much school. I have no. more school than he does, and I oh. still don't do all that. Well, that's because you're a normal person. You're not an <laughs> addict. <laughs> you don't overthink things. <laughs> like, <laughs> I need to get back to school. He gets frustrated with that, that I don't overthink things. Like, he'll be like... What do you mean? And I'm like, I'll say whatever it is. And he's like, yeah, but. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, like, because he gets frustrated because I don't delve into that same level of <laughs> self-centeredness. Having to break every, it down to every level. Yes. Minute, yeah. It's my self-centeredness. And, and it's just, it's not a choice. It's just the way we are, hmm. you know? And our people are not like that. I don't know. I don't know. Self-centered is different than selfish. Yeah. But I, I still, I don't. It's analyzing. Theorizing, figuring it out. Well, what if it's like this? And what happens with that? And I got to figure it out for me. Are you self-centered? Probably. I kind of think everybody is. And that's what I was going to say. I think everybody to a degree is. Because that's kind of like what self-preservation is, is you're still worried about. How often do people wake up and think, 
I want to be the supporting actor today in somebody else's life. <laughs> Every day with you. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that, that, to me, that's kind of the As goal. The like, that's what I think, at least even looking into, like, service to yeah, well, service just being connected to a community and a part of something bigger than just me being here doing what I want to do. I agree, but I think that actually happens because of self-centeredness. I think we we go on and go on and go on and we try these things of service and we start to learn that they feel good for us. Like, I don't go feed the homeless because it's good for them. I pretend that's why, but the truth is I feel fucking good about it afterwards. It's the only reason I continue to do it. Like, we we operate on biological internal reward systems. Yeah, but I don't think that's self-centeredness is something different. That's like altruism or whatever, isn't it? Like... Well, I, guess, I do good things because good things come back to me. Well, and this is the idea of, you know, how selfishness is different. I argue that everyone is selfish because we only do what feels good for us, period. And and if that happens to look to the world like, oh, you do great things for other people, that's wonderful. But it's only truly because of how it makes you feel. Well, selfishness is different than self-centeredness. Is. Self-centeredness is. is the state of my thinking. But um, I am selfish where I would rather stay home and watch Netflix than feed the poor, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's knowing that I could, if I have my way, I'll be doing Netflix every day <laughs> <laughs> with Tyler covered strawberries and really, you know, every day, all the time. And um, then I get a feeling of worthless. When I get what I want, there's a sense of worthlessness in it. It's like I'm filling this hole. So what I've learned through the steps is that service is actually fills that hole with um a, a, a feeling that is bigger than what i was looking for in the first place that's the paradox of the program right um which so that's why i do it but it doesn't come to me naturally well see i agree with that but i don't think it's any less selfish i think you just raised awareness about the after effect of what you usually do to meet your needs in the moment and the now the service raised your awareness about the after effects of doing this thing that doesn't necessarily feel good right this second, but feels great later. It's still, I'm still searching for that selfish fulfillment piece. It's not really about being a part of the community. Just, I, I'll just say this last piece on it. It doesn't matter what you think or feel. It's what you do. Yeah, it doesn't matter great. what you think or feel. It doesn't matter. You know, when they talk about you were born here and you died here and there's that dash. It didn't, nobody's going to give a fuck what you thought and felt. It didn't fucking matter. Yeah. What did you do? Were you Old a good man? <laughs> were you a good man to your wife? Were you giving? Were you honest? Or were you just like sitting there thinking about it? So, so. <laughs> that, I spent my life thinking about it and then I did nothing or I just served myself. But here's the counter argument to that uh, sentiment, which I have heard from people in our programs. And I, and I don't totally disagree with it. But I think the counter argument would be what you do is what you'll be judged by other people for. Yeah, they'll judge you by what you did during that dash. But how I like what good does it do to be this great moral upstanding guy who lived his whole life thinking about others out of some Catholic guilt or shame? Right. People might judge me well for that. But if I was fucking miserable my whole life, then that was a poorly lived life in my mind. So it's a whole lot about what I think and feel. One more chess piece on that. (laughs) I want to check it. Is that, you know, have you ever said, I said, sit to my family, I love you, you know, and I wanted them to judge me by my intentions, even though I stole from them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm like, I love you. Um, But 
you know, none of my actions portrayed that. What I found out when love is in word and deed, no matter what I think or feel, what I get back is love. So it's that whole thing of what I do, what I do, no matter what I think or feel, it's what I do that brings me the results. I'm a good mother, not because I love my kids. It's because you can see my love and, and it doesn't matter if I don't even, whatever I feel, but if you can see it, cause I'm spending time with them, I'm honest with them, then that's what they receive. They receive a good mom. Too often we addicts ask people to judge us by our intentions. You know, I loved you, right? Even though I didn't show up for you and I didn't tell you the truth, but you know, I loved you, right? And expect that kind of result and be so disappointed when we don't get the results of those intentions. So recovery has taught me that it's only in what I say and what I do that makes my life. And that um, is who I am, not who I think I am, but who I am is what I say and what I do. And that's what really affects the world and the people that I love in it. And and I don't disagree with that. I just, I guess I work with people and I, I think of my mom, right? The person who will go out of fear to buy and send someone a birthday card, right? Because the fear is I'll feel guilty if I don't, as opposed to being able to live in a place that's free and act from love. Like either I love this person enough and I have the time in my life and I want to send them this birthday card or whatever happened in my life this year. And I love myself enough that I need to go home and rest and not spend my time going to the store and get the grocery and getting the birthday card. Right. It's not an action out of love. It's this, if I'm only focused on what I do, that can be motivated by fear and fear of the way I'll be ashamed of myself if I don't do things too. Right. So it's not only about the things I do. It's also about where are they coming from? What's that motivation behind it? Because if I, I got to think and feel from a place of, of healthiness or, or it doesn't matter what I do, people can judge that for being positive. We talk about this all the time. So yeah. <laughs> I'm more of a depressed person, right? My tendency is to not want to tackle shit around the house, right? He's more of the anxiety person whose tendency is to deal with his life by tackling jobs around the house. Society will say he is the better human. We both experience the same underlying discontent. There's no difference, right? It, it, great, his actions look better, but it doesn't change the way that we both feel fucking shit about it. But why does it matter what you feel? It totally matters what I feel, man. I matter. My that's why. Matter. That's why I went to drugs because it fucking mattered what I feel. I want to feel what I want to feel. Doesn't matter what you guys fucking feel. I want to feel what I want to feel. That sounds like a rough way to live. Just fuck my feelings. I'll just do the right thing. That's hard. No, but by doing the right things is how, it's the process of the steps for me that gave me the joy. It didn't seem like it would. Service does not feel like it's going to give me joy. Working these principles, I'm like, I'm just going to do it because they tell me I do it because I can't live the other way. And then I get got there. I got to this place where I felt love. I felt one taste of freedom. And joy. It didn't. It wasn't until I had like ten fucking years that I really felt it. And every ten years after, it, it it levels up. But the fact that that feeling, even though I might have had it for just a moment at times, was better than any drug I ever been on. That's why I'm still here. But I think it comes back to that Buddhist thing of the middle path. Like there's a certain amount of selfishness i need in my life or else i'll be consumed by the world and then there's a certain amount of 
unselfishness that I need or I'll be isolated and alone. You know, like I got to find that middle. And it's the same with my feelings. Like, yeah, I need to, my feelings matter, but and again, maybe this is just for addicts or maybe not, but as an addict, like I can take that all to some whole other place to where only my feelings matter and no one else's do. And then I'm wreaking havoc. I'm not sending you a birthday cards. I don't fucking feel like it. That's <laughs> I felt like I, I could sit here and I felt like I sensed Billy's uncomfortability that we were going back and forth. And I was like, he's going to say something because he is really uncomfortable with <laughs> And what did he say? There's a middle road. Right. There's a middle path. <laughs> no, well, Can't we all just get along, a conversation guys? We have a lot, so people are probably sick well, of hearing it. And it's interesting. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know. We're probably boring people to death, and we're way over time. But uh, it's interesting that, like... We should have just went out to dinner. <laughs> I feel like we're, oh, both, love this. we're both speaking from the experience of what got us to where we feel like we're good humans, right? Because my experience has been... I did the recovery thing for like 10 years and tried to do the actions in spite of how I felt and was fucking miserable and through some really um, exhaustive therapy things that I involved myself in outside of recovery, the way I felt changed. And from that place of feeling better, I was able to be better. And so it's like, I guess we get to the same place, but mine definitely, it, 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 I needed to feel different in order to be and do different. And like, I just, I was fucking miserable trying it the other way around. So I'm hesitant to say like, yeah, just do the right thing. Screw how you feel. I'm like, that's not how it worked for me. Yeah. I do think there's something to be said for serious mental health. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there matters, no matter step now work. I'm getting tagged. <laughs> No, I have to say from my own experience, (laughs) it it was like 10 years before I was diagnosed as bipolar. I mean, I had been Mm. diagnosed before my recovery, but it wasn't until I had 10 years till I was in the bed crying for three days straight that my sponsor's like, look, you got to go to the doctor. Mm. You know what I mean? And um, so I'm saying you can't outstep mental health. Right. You know what I mean? But the two together make the best situation for me you know um but one you got you can't do none on one and none on the other you know what i mean it's got to be a balance and only and that balance is so individualized that there's no prescription you can write for one person is going to fit everybody you know so now that we've talked about everything except marriage (laughs) uh any final thoughts on marriage i I guess from my take like whether you're both in recovery whether one is in recovery and the other isn't eh, vulnerability being emotionally connected right learning and raising your awareness about where your triggers come from and and your childhood environment that leads to the way you feel today a lot of times and your reactions like the more awareness we can build of that, the better we're going to be able to recognize ourselves and recognize our partner and just be able to connect with them. Instead of saying, doing the whole attachment dance of one person's pursuing and the other one's going out to the garage to work on something to get the fuck away from them. Like, hey, I'm really feeling like you're not invested right now. And I just, I know that sometimes is my story. Can you help me feel a little reassured that like, even though we're not talking right this minute, you still want to be here? Like, can... Those kind of things can inspire connection and keep us together as opposed to just that same old story of like, oh, they didn't text me back for three hours. They don't give a fuck about me. Any, what everybody else got? We know a lot of people got together early in recovery and stayed together. I mean, they have kids. There's even a joke, you know, what is it? The, uh, 
six month key tag, got a man, nine month key tag, you had a baby by the man or whatever, a year, now you're broken up or whatever. So I forget how it goes, but it's pretty funny. But I think it's because, you know, even the rehab romances, right? When people get into the program and this is like the first time that they've been around people who are honestly sharing their feelings and their thoughts and there's like this open-mindedness and this closeness that naturally occurs um wound rubbing huh <laughs> wound rubbing oh man that sounds <laughs> sick but, <laughs> but and so there's relationships that can start off early on and, and even if you're in a couple like for couples that if somebody comes to the program and one person's not an addict and they're going, I can imagine they would feel a lot of jealousy and insecurity because mm. they, there's a lot of close connections. It's like the first time that people are really opening up. Um, and I think relationships can form for a lifetime. I can think of so many couples that got together in that first year that are still together now, you know, decades later. Wow. And just by chance they met in their early part of their recovery but I think that's definitely been a benefit for me and Billy. I don't know if it's been a benefit for you guys, but um, hopefully we, we can keep that stuff as we go on in recovery. Keep that belief that there's more to be learned and felt and discovered with our partners. That we can really grow together and not have a boring, you know, relationship with that. There's new horizons, you know. That's wild. That's so contrary to what we hear about not getting in relationships in the first year to hear that experience. That's all. Thanks for having me on. I'll be back on for the sex one. <laughs> <laughs> Sexual health and recovery. It's coming one of these days. All right. Uh, everybody uh, stay married or not married, whatever makes you happy. And we'll see you next week. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us.